This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wow. We will sing hallelujah. What a day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I welcome all those in the video venue today. It is great to have you with us watching in the back building. Great to have all of you here today. God bless each and every one of you. You look marvelous today. And you're dry. Isn't that good to know? We are in a series on raising up good soldiers. And we're talking about training men and women for battle, equipping believers to do the work of the ministry. Paul writes, Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, these incredible letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy. He's talking about how that Timothy needed to be a good soldier in the faith. Today's Memorial Day weekend, tomorrow's Memorial Day, and we celebrate soldiers who have fallen in battle. Soldiers who gave their life that we might have our freedom. I want to take a look at the little video clip right now, if you would. Stand together and pray. Father, right now. We thank you, God, for the brave men and women who serve our country. We thank you right now for soldiers who are over in Iraq and Afghanistan that are laying their lives on the line that we might have our freedoms. We thank you for this great privilege we have to live in America today, to be able to serve you and follow you, to know you, mighty God. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be soldiers in this spiritual warfare. And I pray, God, you will teach us and train us from your word today that we might be good soldiers of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in your mighty name. Amen. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Remain standing for the reading of God's word today. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 1. Therefore I exert first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. A guy was on a diet. And uh, his biggest temptation was donuts. He loved donuts, and that was kind of his downfall right there. And he drove down the street by his favorite donut shop. 
And he prayed. He said, Lord, if you want me to have a donut this morning, let there be a parking spot available right in front of the donut shop. And then I'll know, God, if it's really you or not. Later, he was talking to his wife and recounting the story to her. And the wife said, well, did you stop by the donut shop? And the husband said, well, I prayed this prayer. And I said, God, if God, if you have the right spot right in front of the door of the donut shop, I'll stop. And if not, I'll, I'll move on. And you know what? I, about my eighth trip around the donut shop, I found it. <laughs> you know, we, we say we want to know God's will. We say we want to follow his will and, and obey his will. But what often we really want is to bend God's will into our will. We want God to put his stamp of approval on our agenda and our plans, uh, and then we call it God's will. And then there are other times knowing the will of God can be a complete mystery, and we don't know what God wants or God thinks or what his will is for our life. But I will propose to you today, most of the time our problem is not lack of knowledge, but lack of obedience. Our problem is not lack of knowledge, but lack of obedience. Mark Twain makes this statement concerning the Bible, and I think it's in your outline. It's not, these, it's not those parts that I don't understand that give me the biggest problem. It's the parts that I do understand. So what is God's will? What does God really want out of our lives? What is he calling us to? Well, I will tell you, God's will is already revealed. It's not a mystery. It's not complicated uh, It is already laid out for us, and he makes it very clear in the text I just read to you. And I want to give you three things that clearly tell us what God wants. First of all, God wants everyone to be saved. Say that with me, everyone to be saved. Look at verse number three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. That's what God wants. God wants everybody to be saved. Let me tell you something this morning. The Christian message uh, is not designed to make us feel better. It's not about making us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, some of those things can be byproducts of salvation, but that's not what it's all about. The gospel is simply this. Men are messed up by disobedience by sin, uh, but God can come in uh, and, and we can be made right before God right now and for all eternity. That's the gospel message. The gospel is not about political programs. It's not about social reform. It's not about caring for the poor and hungry or building orphanages or hospitals. Uh, Those things are all good. Those things are all important. Uh, But Christians are first, and, and, and around the world, Christians are always first to do those things. But the gospel is about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's about him giving his life for us. The Bible's very clear. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And somewhere along the way, or at some time, somebody told you about Jesus. And because they told you about Jesus and what he did for you, you heard it, you believe it, you accepted it, and as a result, you were saved. What is true for you, the Bible says God wants for everyone. God wants everybody 
be saved. Now, salvation, if God wants everybody to be saved, then this salvation has got to be provided for everybody. Provided for all. Look at verse number four again. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not for white people. Not for old people. Not for rich people. The message is for everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants the kind of people you don't like to be saved. He wants to save the one who's broken one commandment or all ten commandments. He wants everybody to be saved. Now, it doesn't mean everybody will be saved because God in his design of man created us with a free choice. We can accept or reject God's free offer of grace. In fact, in Revelation 22 and 17, he says, Come and let him that is a thirst come, and whoever, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Come, come, come. The invitation goes out to all. God's death is provided for everybody. God wants all men to be saved. The salvation was also provided for all men by one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid for our salvation. Look at 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom to all to be testified in due time. Now, now the Bible says God wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is truth? What is truth? Well, Paul's going to tell us right here what truth is. The truth is simply this. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Him. He's our mediator. He is the only one that could ever be our mediator because He is the only one that has ever been fully God and fully man. Uh, Therefore, He serves as that bridge between the one true God. He is our mediator between a holy God and His failing children. He is the way back to everlasting life. goes on to say He gave His life as a ransom. That means he paid the price to set us free. Salvation through our mediator. And then the third thing about this salvation, it's got to be proclaimed and professed by the church. Look at verse number seven. For which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Some people will wrongly deduce that because God wants all men to be saved, he'll do it with or without man. William Carey was getting ready to go on a mission field, one of our very first pioneer missionaries and who really opened up the door to worldwide missions to so many others who would follow along. And there were some religious people who came along and says, why go to Africa? Why go to India? Why go to China? Why go to these remote parts of the earth and take the gospel of Jesus Christ? If God is sovereign and God picks and chooses who's going to be saved, uh, why send out missionaries? If God knows the beginning from the end, why even go? Why do anything at all? But notice verse number seven. Paul says he called me to be a preacher. 
That's a herald of the king. He called me to be apostle, which means one sent on a special mission. Uh, He called me to be a teacher to the Gentiles of this truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God who wants all men to be saved uh, has set it up so that we could have the privilege and responsibility of getting the job done. We are able to speak the truth to lost people that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great privilege we have. He didn't send angels. He doesn't have a plan B. We're it, church. Therefore, if God wants all men to be saved, i got to be ready to go and tell and speak the good news. Now, Because God wants all people to be saved, therefore we can deduce that God wants all Christians to pray. Second, what's the second thing he wants? He wants you to pray. He wants me to pray so the job might get done. You know, it it, it pleases the father when his children pray. What an incredible blessing that is. It suggests we must pray in God's will. Now, a couple things about prayer real quick. I want you to look at verse number one. I therefore exhort, first of all, say that together, first of all. Prayer is our top priority. You don't look like you believe that. Try it one more time. First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all, our top priority, bar none, as children of God, is to pray. And then he kind of lays it out for us, how it falls into place. He says supplication. The word supplication carries the idea of offering a request for a need that you might have before God. Prayers is the more general word for prayer. It's the most common word used in the New Testament. It, It simply, it also implies an act of worship. It's not just bringing my needs before God, but I come and I worship and I pray and I love on the Lord. The word intercessions has the idea of petitions uh, that are taken to a superior. And so I bring my petitions before God and then always in every good prayer should include the giving of thanks. Thanking God for his mercy and grace. Thanking God what he did on Calvary. Uh, Thanking God for my life and my breath and my strength. I thank God that you have done incredible things in my life. Uh, And so he says supplications, intercessions, prayers, uh, the giving of thanks. Church, that's what we're about. First of all, that's our priority. First of all. And then he goes on to describe the target of those prayers. Uh, There are really two targets he mentions right here. and It pretty much covers all prayer. The first target is praying for others. Yeah, he says, giving thanks be made for all men. That pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? That's the target of our prayer life. Now, what that tells me is simply this. No person is outside the influence of believing prayer. God would not tell us to pray for all men if it didn't do any good. So we pray for men. We pray for all men, all ladies. Uh, You see, the temptation is that when I pray, I go to God with my very narrow list of prayer requests, uh, and it becomes all about me. uh, And yet Paul says, pray for all men. Pray for other people. Don't just pray for yourself. 
Pray for all men. There was a hospital chaplain who went to visit this delightful old lady in the hospital. And she noticed that she had her eyes closed and she had her hand held up like this and she touched her thumb and she was touching each finger and he watched her for a moment and then he said something to her and she opened up her eyes and looked at him and the chaplain spoke to her and says, what are you doing? Can I ask you? And he said, well, I'm praying. I'm praying. I was just praying my prayers, the same prayers my grandmother taught me how to pray many years ago and the chaplain looked puzzled. And she went on to say, I hold my hand like this. And the first one I touch is my thumb. And I pray for this thumb. It reminds me to pray for those that are closest to me, my closest family members, my closest friends, those that that are very close to me. And I hold my thumb close to my heart. And second, I touch my index finger. And that, that means suggest those who point the way for other people. And so I hold my index finger and I pray for my pastors and I pray for my teachers and I pray for parents and I pray for leaders. And then I touch my middle finger and that's the biggest finger and that reminds me to pray for those in high places. And so I pray for uh, government leaders and authorities and our president and I pray for those in authority. And then I touch my next finger and that's my weakest finger in my hand and so therefore I use that time to pray for the sick and the lonely and those who are afraid. And then last I touch my little finger and that's when I pray for myself. That, that's kind of good. You might want to jot that down. That might help you in your prayer life and learning to pray for other people. Prayer is at the heart of God's plan to save the lost. If God is not willing that any should perish, if what God wants is for everyone to be saved, uh, then it stands logical conclusion Then God also wants everyone to pray. What God wants will be accomplished and taken care of and carried out. How are some ways we pray for the lost? John 4 tells us to pray like this. Pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest field. And so we say, God, raise up missionaries. Raise up worker. Lord, send your laborers. And as we begin to pray that way, God will touch your heart and he'll send you out there. We also pray for open doors that the gospel of Christ might go out with freedom. And so those countries that might be closed, we begin to pray that God will open up doors of opportunity. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, look at verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Uh, Meanwhile, praying also for us. And look what he says. That God would open to us a door for the word. Paul says, pray for us that God would open up a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray for that open door. Now, if we are really going to be serious, and, and church, listen to me, this may be in this whole series of equipping believers to do the work of the ministry, maybe the most important message you'll receive. Because he says, first of all, pray. Learn how to pray. Church, we need to learn how to pray and be men and women of prayer. But if we're really going to be serious about praying for all people, then we must believe that God loves all people without distinction. 
We must believe that everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. That when Christ died, he died for all men, regardless of color, regardless of uh, race, regardless of income status, regardless of what they may have done or may not have done. Now, here's the rub. Listen to me. Can we really pray and give thanks for all men if we actively choose only those we're going to hang around and fellowship with and love with? Can we really proclaim God desires all people to be saved as long as they stay in their own neighborhoods? Can we offer God's, the gospel of Christ's redemption to all people without not first being willing to offer ourselves? Absolutely not. Pray for all, all, all men. And then the second target group he identifies is in verse number two. He says, pray for your authorities. Pray for kings and all those who are in authority. Now, I want you to follow me. Just stay with me right now. Don't leave me now. The Christians were under the cruel hand of Nero. Nero was anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christians. Nero was having these Christians thrown to the lions and burned at the stake. The apostle Paul tells the believers, pray for Nero. Now, it doesn't matter if you like your senator or not. It doesn't matter if you like your congressman or not. It doesn't matter if you voted for him or not. It's not about who I voted for. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. What does God's word say? Pray for those in authority. Pray for your king. Pray, pray, pray. The next time you're tempted to complain about government or America or our president, uh, why not pray instead? In fact, which has the power to bring change? Complaining or praying? Help me out here, church. We pray that God will not only change their actions, uh, but that ultimately our prayers might lead to their salvation. Because God wants everybody to be saved. I have a radical idea. The next time you and a fellow believer are talking, the next time that fellow believer begins to criticize our president or the decisions of our president, Why don't you really shock them and say, you know what we need to do? Let's stop right now here and say a prayer for our president. (laughs) His eyes will get about this big. His jaw will drop. He may not come to you anymore with his gripes and complaints. And you just take, join hands right there and say, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we pray for our president. I want to ask Pastor Craig to come right now. I'm preaching a message. I, I, I don't want this message to be theoretical. I want it to be practical. I want it to be something we begin to implement. And we're going to start to implement this right now. How many are on board with me? Let's stand together right now. Pastor Craig is going to lead us in prayer for our president, for our nation, for our land. Let's join him as we pray together. Amen. Let me read this verse in Psalm 33. It really sets the stage as we're going to pray. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. 
Their starry host by the breath of his mouth, and he gathers the waters of the sea into the jars. He puts the deep into storehouses, and it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. It said he commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. And says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you today. We make this a house of prayer, Lord, for our president, God, today. And Lord, individually, we come to you today and we ask God and we know that you are at work around us. You are at work in this nation, in our lives. God, that you pursue a real and personal relationship with each and every one of us. God, that even today, Lord, that you are speaking through us, through the word of God, through prayer, through circumstances, even this church, Faith Assembly of God. And I pray, God, as a church, we would come before you humbly, God, and seek your face, that we would pray today, God, that we would even turn from our sins and walk towards you in the line that you want us to walk. And Lord, we also pray that our president would humble himself and that he would pray and seek your face and know exactly what you want of him. And Lord, when we do that, we will know that you reign. God, we ask that you would impart, God, unto our president, Barack Obama, God, that he would give what wisdom in his life that leads to righteousness. God, that you would empower him, God, to make the right decisions, Lord, each and every day. God, that you would give him true insight into the ways of the government, the legislation. God, all those things that need insight, the state, the house, the judicial branch, and let him know, God, how to lead each branch. God, we also pray that there would be unity in this land, that, God, you would start first at our homes. And, God, when you begin at our homes, it would go out to our cities, into our states and nations, God, and people would see that unity must be number one. And, God, I pray that you would begin to heal nations and lands. God, that you would heal people, God, that you would heal those places in government. Speak into his heart, the president, God's heart, and help him to do that. God, we also pray today that you would be, God, our strength and that he would act on our behalf, God. And Lord, let us know and understand that he is just a mortal man. Every one of us are mortal beings, but God, you are immortal. God, that you stand alone. And when I read scripture, I know this, that the government does not rest on his shoulders or our shoulders. It rests on your shoulders. And God, because of that, you are the wonderful counselor. You are the everlasting father. You are the prince of peace in this place. And God, we accept that and we believe that. In the name of Jesus, we pray and believe. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Third, what does God want? First of all, if God wants all men to be saved, then we need to pray. Number three, if God wants all men to be saved, he wants Christians to live godly lives. Let me say that again. He wants Christians, believers, his church to live godly lives. Verse number two, he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and all reverence. People will make judgments about God based on your life. 
They'll watch you. They'll look at you. They will study you. And they'll decide if that's really the God they want to serve, the the one that you profess to believe in. Uh, God says he wants us to live peaceful and quiet and godly lives. Uh, Look at in 1 Timothy 5. Let me just share some scriptures very quickly with us. He wants us to lead peaceful and godly lives. Why? So that they may be blameless as people watch our lives. 1 Timothy 5 and 14, that we will give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Uh, He says in Titus 2 and 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Uh, Listen, when you are living an ungodly life, uh, when there's anger and wrath and bitterness in your heart and life, uh, when there's sin in your life, the name of God literally becomes blasphemed uh, because you become that representative of what Christianity is all about. Titus 2 and 8, that, that an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Our lives should back up our words. What a tragedy. God or Christianity to be evil spoken of because they've watched you at work. What a tragedy for someone to say, I'm not going to that church because it's filled with hypocrites. What a tragedy. Talks about a peaceful and quiet life. That has to do with our relationship to one another. In other words, we're not to be troublemakers. We're not to be agitators. We're not to be quarrelsome. But we are to have a reputation for being kind and gracious and peace-loving. And then he talks about our relationship to God. And he says, in all godliness and in all reverence. Uh, Godliness is more than just the surface. Godliness goes way down deep into the heart. That means my motives are pure and genuine. Uh, I'm not just going through the motions uh, and, and, and we obey God from the inside, even though it may cost us. Holiness has to do with a life that is set apart. I'm set apart from this world, and I'm set apart unto God for his work and for his service. We live for and follow Christ because Christ made a difference in my life. He is my everything. He is my all. And that's the kind of life that's going to impact lost people. Listen, there ought to be radical Christians going out of this door this morning. There ought to be a difference in your speech, in your actions, in your motives, in your attitudes. There ought to be something different about the child of God. And I will tell you, the world is watching. The world is watching. Paul said we are epistles read of all men. You are an epistle. You are a letter that men are reading. What are they deducing about Christianity when they read your life? These three things are all related. God wants all men to be saved. Therefore, God wants us to pray. Therefore, God wants us to live godly lives so we can impact this world. I want to conclude with verse number 8. Look at it. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Look at the phrase. I want men to pray everywhere. No matter where you find yourself, you can pray. Because Christ is down in your heart and life, you can pray. You can pray in your car. You can pray in your bedroom. You can gather together and pray at church. You can pray with believers. You can pray in your life groups. You can pray at night by your bedside. You can pray 
anywhere. In your favorite chair, you can pray. I would that men would pray everywhere. Kind of goes along with the thought that Paul wrote the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17. Pray without ceasing. Uh, we can pray anywhere, anywhere, everywhere, anytime. In Acts 12 and 5, there's a story in the book of Acts. Peter's put in prison. And notice the response of the church. Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered up to God for him by the church. Constant prayer was offered up to God for Peter. Now what was the result? The chains fall off. The prison bars are opened up. There is a miraculous release of Peter. Why is there a release of Peter? Because there is unrelenting prayer being made for Peter everywhere and without ceasing. Uh, Now here's what I want to share with you. Uh, Praying everywhere, praying without ceasing, uh, praying constantly will bring a release to the captives. That's how they will be set free. That's how the prison bars are going to open up. That's how they're going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how revival is going to come into his church. uh, That we would pray everywhere, constantly, without ceasing. The emphasis is on the attitude of your heart uh, and of your spirit. Uh, He's not trying to emphasize the bodily position. He is emphasizing the posture of the heart. Is your heart holy before God? Holy carries the idea of clean, not smudged and dirty with the wickedness of this world. And then he says, lifting up holy hands without wrath. Are we okay with one another in the body of Christ? Have I worked out all those differences? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? And then he says, without doubting. And so when I lift up holy hands, it's without wrath. They're clean before God, but there's also no doubting. I believe I serve a miracle, powerful, working God. that all things are possible and so I come to him and I believe when I pray God is going to hear and answer my prayer to have that effective prayer then I need to be in right relationship with God nothing between me and the Lord and right relationship with other believers and then I pray and I worship the Lord and I will tell you this is what God wants this is what God wants God wants all men to be saved. God wants us to pray, lifting up holy hands, without doubting, without wrath. God wants us to live a godly life in reverence and in fear. When you come to Faith Assembly of God, some of you are fairly new here. When we come to Faith Assembly, a lot of people raise their hands and they lift it up to God sign of submission, a sign of surrender, a sign of just reaching out to the Lord. And so we do that quite frequently in the house. And so let me tell you, there's a biblical verse right here for it, that that posture is completely acceptable before God. And so when you come in and hands start going up all around you, don't let it freak you out. Just get your hands up and join right in and begin to worship and praise and glorify our Lord. probably noticed that we only sang maybe a couple of worship courses up front very very powerful brought us into the presence of the lord i'm thankful for our worship team pastor Lorel, 
They do a wonderful ministry of bringing us in and ushering into the presence of God. Matt Redman wrote a song, and our musicians are coming. Matt Redman wrote a song called The Heart of Worship. He wrote it in the late 1990s, and, and there was a period of apathy in the church he was involved in. It was called Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England. And he, uh, there was just, the people were not getting it. They were not worshiping. They were not involved. They were not engaged. They were not a part of it. And he, the pastor wrote these words. There was a dynamic missing so that the pastor did a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. And we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we lost our way in worship. And the way to get back to the heart was to strip everything away. The way to get back to the heart was to strip everything away. Now, what I want us to do today is we're going to take some time at the end of this service just to wait on the Lord and to worship him and to see what God will do, what God will say, and to wait in his presence. We're going to adopt that posture that the word of God talks about. We're going to lift up our hands before the Lord. We're going to sing and lift up our voices. We're going to begin to praise and glorify him. So let's stand together, Steve, and start playing that song. This is the first song we're going to sing. I'm getting back to the heart of worship. It's not just lifting up hands. It's lifting up holy hands. Therefore, to lift up holy hands, my heart's got to be right. And when my heart's right, then I can lift up holy hands before God. So let me just give you some instructions. They're simply these. Don't worry about who's next to you. Don't worry about how bad you sing or how good you sing. Don't worry about your voice. I say that for me and many of you here as well. It's the heart. It's the heart of worship. It's loving God. Waiting on Him. Worshiping God. Giving thanks. And at times, if as we worship, you want to offer up intercessions, you want to offer up supplications, you want to begin to pray for others, that's okay. We're just going to, we're just going to, put into practice what we've learned this morning this podcast has been a presentation of faith assembly where our mission is to connect people with christ and to experience life thank you for listening this week